Better Buildings for Humans is powered by Advanced Glazings, makers of the Solera line of products. Solera is the leading glass glazing made specifically for architectural daylighting and with extreme insulation performance. Learn more at advancedglazings.com. Advanced Glazings has asked me to mention that they will be hosting the War on Dull Buildings Summit the spring of 2024. Stay tuned for more information. Okay, welcome to this episode of Better Buildings for Humans, the show where we talk about the way that the built environment impacts our health, our safety, our wellness, our productivity, and our joy of being alive. So today I have a something very different, someone very different. We've got, for the first time, an owner representative. So, we you know, we've talked to architects and designers and people who do products for, for, for the construction industry, the building industry, um, but we never get to speak to the people who actually own the buildings, or we haven't yet. So today, I am very fortunate to have Megan Sykes, who's the energy manager for uh, for Sobeys. So everybody in Canada knows who Sobeys are. Um, so I Outside of Canada, for, for those of you who don't know, Sobeys is one of the largest grocery retailers on the planet. Um, and they are also, um, through their holding company Empire, they own a number of other things, including uh, uh, cinemas and uh, uh, transportation companies. So a very significant organization. And Megan... Megan Sykes is the person who's in charge of, of, of optimizing their, their energy usage. So Megan, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's an absolute joy to have you here today. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Heard nothing but great things. Well, thank you. So did I, did I get the introduction right uh, when I spoke yeah. about Sobeys and your role? Yes, you did. That was quite the introduction. So uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Sobeys is one of the largest retail, food retailers here in Canada um, who operate a number of different types of buildings. So um, where my role is integrated is on the Sobeys and related banner side. I work closely with Crombie who, and Empire who kind of oversee some of the other businesses. Okay, that sounds wonderful. All right, so let's start with you telling us a little bit about your background and then tell us about your role within Sobeys specifically. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Joe, I will warn you, it's a little bit of a uh, convoluted roadmap that I took to to get here. So if there are questions off in, um, you know, my education and career, I'm originally from the U.S. Um, and I grew up in Tennessee. Um, and that's where I started out, got my education, and I graduated with honors and a bachelor's in environmental studies with a focus in statistics. And so I like to describe my degree as kind of a pick-your-own-adventure book, if you remember those from back in the day where, you know, if you wanted to go down the the path, turn to this page or, or go to another page. And really, you know, how that degree was set up, there were a number of core classes that you had to take, but then you could largely pick which direction you wanted to go. And um, at the time, I was heavily involved in the outdoor community doing, I was a rock climbing coach and guide, I did whitewater rafting. And so naturally, um, Yvonne Chouinard, who is the founder of Patagonia, was this really big hero of mine and this really great inspiration of not only his talents in the outdoor world, um, but how he founded his business with Patagonia and Black Diamond and 
um, that group of men. And it really inspired me to take a look and focus on sustainability and corporate responsibility within that realm. So I tailored my degree to kind of be a combination of environmental policy, environmental science, mathematics, political science, to kind of get a broad understanding of what this means, sustainability. What does it mean in our world? Um, and so during that time, my university required all of undergraduates to write an undergraduate thesis. And so I focused in on um, environmental policy in regards to electronic waste. That at the time was kind of a focus of mine of we have all this great technology and we're at a period in history where the turnover is so great. Like even from five years ago, I'm not sure if River Riverside, what we're talking on was even there. So just technology in how can we use these resources and what is being done really stirred my interest. In addition, I was doing a um, an internship with the city of Knoxville, Tennessee, and their Department of Sustainability, uh, working on their community energy plan. And that exposed me, Joe, to this other side of the world. I got to work with the utility board. I got to work with the mayor, the different departments to kind of come together and figure out Knoxville at the time was competing in a federal grant, a $5 million federal, federal grant put on um, by the Department of Energy and Georgetown University. And part of this was developing a community energy plan. So how was the city going to address this, this issue of energy and, and going towards clean energy and technologies and engaging the community with that? It was a really worthwhile experience and I learned so much during that time. Um, after my graduation, I got a job with DePaul University, which is um, located in Kingsville, Indiana. And at that time, I was a program manager for the uh, sustainability department. And I worked with the director and we, it was a really cool um, experience because I went from this very real world of utilities and um, political science and the politics that are kind of all behind the scenes to working on a campus with um, university students. Um, and I, you know, being a recent graduate, it was, it was really cool to kind of see that from more of an administrator standpoint. I think universities are great. Everybody is so full of hope still. So. <laughs> have these great ideas. They're not worn down yet. Like I, I had seen kind of behind the scenes when developing uh, the community energy plan. You know, they're not, they're not so critical or so tired yet of the world. And so um, during that program, we did a ton of great initiatives. We grew, it was called, we had something called the Sustainability Leadership Program. And I think it was, it probably had to be the only um, one in the country at the time where this was an extracurricular, wasn't part of any sort of curriculum, um, but students volunteered um, and we did different sustainability initiatives both around campus, um, around the community in Greencastle and in Indiana itself. And, you know, we had a campus farm that we worked at um, where we grow, grew and sold the produce back to the campus food hub that got incorporated into the daily meals. Um, we had students who volunteered to go speak to our legislation in Indiana 
to talk to our representatives and senators about pressing environmental issues in the state at that time and, and to try to help push environmental policy and uh, give them a taste for that grassroots environmental work that could be done. Um, one of the other ones, which was one of my favorites, was going to talk to different schools, elementary schools, middle schools, even high schools around Indiana to talk about sustainability and what is it and what does it mean? And that show was really unique. You got a lot of different perspectives um, because a lot of times kids, you know, they, they have an understanding, especially this day and age of, okay, recycling, I, I can recycle, but maybe not the initiative kind of like why behind it. Um, and especially for engaging with our rural communities is incredibly important. Um, and so getting these kids to kind of think about, um, I remember there is this one girl um, who said, well, I, I really love golf. And, you know, one day I really want to be a designer on a golf course. And I'm not sure that sustainability really means anything to that. You know, how can I do that? And I said, well, let's think about it. We could, well, it takes a lot of water to you know, run a golf course. And what if you instead use native plants and, you know, looked at different types of plant species. And, you know, I think it's really important because it's really easy to say like, oh, golf courses are terrible, uh, which I'll pause here and say, sorry, dad, my dad's a, he's a huge golfer. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really, I think it's important to meet people where they're at and especially our young people and not to quash their dreams of being a golf course designer and say, you know, that's really terrible for the environment, but to spur that thinking of like, okay, great. If that's what you want to do and you're passionate about, you know, we could definitely meet you there. And, you know, let's think about this water issue and let's think about, you know, planting and vegetation and maybe that can stir the conversation on Joe. So um, I, I'm so appreciative of my time at the PAW and, and learning from that program. Um, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, this is back in the States and we're in Halifax, Nova Scotia. How, how did you get here? Uh, which I get that question a lot. So um, I immigrated up to Nova Scotia back in June of 2016. Um, my husband, now husband, was up at DePaul University completing his master's. And we just fell in love with the area and fell in love with the people and the culture, and just this is just where we were meant to be. So I immigrated up to Canada, and um, eventually I was hired on at Solterre Design um, under uh, under Keith uh, Robertson, who you have had on this podcast and, and discussed many times. And each episode, I have to interrupt for just a second, Megan. Yeah, but yeah. This episode is actually our highest listened. Uh, highest listened to episode. I'm not sure that's the right language, but his episode has been listened to more times than any other episode. Period. Interesting. Absolutely. I I can't say enough great things about Keith. He is the grandfather of green, uh, though I'm sure he would bulk at the uh, term grandfather. So he he's just really inspirational in terms of how quickly both him and his wife Kim Corson were involved in the idea sustainability, sustainable architecture, passive house, um, you know, here in, in Halifax, Solterre is the oldest green architecture firm in the Maritimes. Um, and I joined their team, a, 
um, sustainability and green building rating system consultant. Um, and I was there for five and a half years until I just recently took this position with Sobeys uh, back in August. And during that time, though, is when it really stirred my love of construction and building and energy use and thinking about our built environment. At the time, coming from DePaul and, and having that background of working with utilities, I wasn't quite sure of the direction I wanted to go next in terms of career. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to get back into governmental work and, and policy. I wasn't sure if I wanted to jump into the um, the university and working with that scene because they're they're great institutions for that. You're really supported and involved, and and I was kind of looking for this direction. So. Getting the position at School Care and getting this background into green building certifications and sustainability was so amazing. And it really, really has dictated what I want to do with the rest of my career and what I hope to accomplish. During my time there, I worked on over, I want to say, 30 different buildings um, of certifications, different types go, you name it. I have probably seen it and certified it. I've done anything from schools to hospitals, MERBs, buildings for our, um, our armed forces. I, I won't get into what those buildings are, but I have seen it all. And so it really opened up this world to me of thinking about our built environment and how our built environment interacts and dictates our regular environment and how our buildings are just such a core of who we are as a society and you know buildings are never going away and during my time at Solterra I had um, you know I had the option and, and the opportunity to go to the CAGBC conference that was held out in Vancouver a couple years ago where I got to hear Thomas Mueller speak and one of the things that he said that stuck with me to this day is we're not going to we're not going to build our way out of the climate crisis. You know, we really need to look at what we're doing today, um, look at our buildings, and figure out how we're going to use this as a tool to help us accomplish our goals. And so that's something that's always kind of resonated in the back of my mind of, um, you know, the greenest building you could build is the one already built. Um, and what can we do with that? So it's, it's such a complex, fun problem that we have. It's a, it's a puzzle that my mind really likes to gnaw on. So with that, you know, I, I took this job with Sobeys um, and as their energy manager, I have that ability to kind of gnaw on that problem. Um, my main role, so I'm housed within the real estate department within Sobeys. Um, you know, we have so one of those, like, 1,600 different locations around that number of stores within Canada. And my role is to help guide real estate and the programs. Um, Sobeys released our climate action plan, which I highly encourage you and, and anybody listening to the podcast to take a look. I joined um, and it, it's a really comprehensive plan. They've been very diligent. So with the climate action plan, we're looking to reduce our scope one and two emissions by 55% by 2030. And when we say reduced by 55%. That's over our 2019 baseline. And this is a 
pretty aggressive target considering that we're already in February or January of 2024. Um, and so where my role fits in is making sure that we hit these scope one and two targets, we're on track to doing that, and we're doing it in a way that is uh, responsible both to our stores, to our communities, um, and in ways that make sense. So it's a really great job, and it's it's one of those positions I'm super fortunate to be involved with, and I'm excited to see how we progress and hit these targets and um, evolve in this in this climate action plan. Can you give me some? Can you give me some examples of the sorts of things you're doing uh, to to meet those those fifty five percent reduction goals? Sure. Yeah. So with our scope one and two, of course, as the as the provincial grids are getting greener, that that helps us out. Pick up on what you're alluding to in terms of what else is going on, and I'll give broad answers for sure, Joe. Um, I won't get into details uh, just because um, this industry is highly competitive and I don't want to give too much away of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and we're certainly, you know, looking at new technologies to increase efficiencies is, is a big part of this. Another part of this is looking at a refrigeration. The world has done a great job of getting rid of our super bad refrigerants, but we do better with our CWT and our ODCs and, and making sure that we're trending in that right, right direction. Um, refrigeration plays a huge role in this. But one aspect that I'm really excited about, which I'm sure would keep your interest grow, is what can we do with, you know, our building pipes and materials and um, our envelopes? And what does this all look like? I think it's such, it's such a great question because I think it's first really important to understand how unique grocery stores and food retailers are in terms of building and energy use. I mean, first, this is one of the few buildings that we as a public integrate into our daily lives. And here's where my statistics background is going to hit hard, Joe, so I apologize. There was a study conducted in 2019 by the Retail Council of Canada that found the average Canadian visits about 2.3 grocery stores and regularly on a regular basis. Within that, they go about 5.4 trips per month, which is about 1.2 times a week. So it's it's a building that everybody goes to. You know, not everybody goes to a school. Not everybody goes to a bank anymore. It's one of the few public places that we see everybody go. Everybody's familiar with a grocery store. They know what it looks like, feels like. That that study was conducted before COVID-19 and the pandemic, and I'm sure that the, the retail landscape has changed, and I'd be interested to see an update to that study of, of how we, trending-wise, what that has done. But in terms of this being a very familiar building, these buildings are one of the most energy-intensive commercial buildings out there. And that's just due to the sheer amount of refrigeration and HVAC equipment that's, that's within it. And the, like I mentioned before, the refrigeration in particular is a huge focus of how our business food retailers operate. This is both from a food safety perspective to the quality of the product we're able to provide to the diversity of product, you know, being able to supply things that aren't 
seasonal or, you know, maybe come from Canada and, and being able to store those properly and have that availability for consumers like you and I. And the cost of both in terms of kilowatt hours and utilities and, and money to support that type of refrigeration system is just it's just massive. It's it's utterly massive. And so I think that having that in mind of how these buildings operate and how they continue to operate, the term resiliency comes to mind. If we're, you know, you and I remember last summer of Nova Scotia just had its you know, natural disaster after natural, whether it was fires and then flooding. And it was just, it was this huge time period of us where our communities were totally disruptive. And if we think about that, we need to be thinking about our, our grocery stores. That's a lifeline of both in terms of people being able to come in and, and get food, um, whether it's in preparation before the storm or after the storm. I, I just think that these buildings are such a pillar of our communities that we need to be thinking of them as that and then incorporating this into, okay, how can we increase our energy efficiency? How can we make sure we're building these in the right places with the right materials to support that? And so it's such a, it's such a complex problem and something that in my role I'm, I'm thinking about and other people within our, um, our organization is thinking about. So constantly looking at um, new technologies when it comes to increasing that efficiency, whether it's with our refrigeration, you know, I don't think it's any secret that CO2 refrigeration, you know, something that people are looking at. Um, I know certainly competitors have been looking at it. It's something that um, could pose, you know, a solution just in terms of very low DWT, very low ODC, making sure we're, we're being responsible. And something that I think that you and the community will probably see trending just in terms of federal regulations that are probably going to continue to come. And as the government pushes on their end of, okay, how do we, how do we make sure that our markets and our, our country move forward? So it's, it's such a great question, Joe. Okay. Now, first of all, before I move on to the next one, uh, you, you use two terms there that I want to make sure uh, I understand and our audience understands, GWP and OWP. So GWP is global warming potential. So oh, it's okay. the, so if that. refrigeration leaks, what is the cost of that refrigerant going into our atmosphere? And what does that, what does that do in terms of assisting or, or, you know, um, exploding in terms of, you know, global warming. Uh, the other one is uh, ODP, so ozone depletion potential. Okay. So this is, this was the big one in, in the 80s and, and prior of, you know, making sure that our ozone, you know, as we saw with HFTs and, and that ozone depletion. Mm-hmm. I will say that um, in terms of refrigeration today in the landscape today, Joe, I think that the importance People are focused on the GWP over ODP just simply because I think we have a sound understanding of, of ozone depletion potential. Legislation across the globe was very successful in, in dictating and, and reducing that with, you know, getting rid of HFC refrigerations and, and all of this. So um, those are kind of the, the big two things that we look at in terms of refrigeration. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, quick quick side note, but uh, in yeah. 1990, I was working for DuPont at the time uh, and, and at the plant where they were converting from CFCs to HCFCs, uh, where mm-hmm. the ozone layer depletion had become absolutely critical and, and something needed to happen very quickly. So that was, a, it was an exciting time. All right, I have to change gears a little bit. So this this show is about occupants as well. So I, I do have to talk a little bit about that. So there's significant mm-hmm. evidence suggesting that, you know, there's a strong link between the presence of natural light, full spectrum natural light from the sun and retail sales volume. Um, is Sobeys doing anything to improve the shopping experience by connecting shoppers to the natural world through, through daylight? I love all these questions because it's definitely the realm in which I live. There's a great example within our the Sobeys family and um, our stores that we have. And I do apologize to uh, my my French speaking counterparts um, and and those in Quebec. Uh, I am currently in French classes, so hopefully my pronunciation will be okay. Um, there is an IGA store, um, so IGA de Boiscatel. Um, which is just outside of Quebec City. And Joe, like, I highly encourage you, you know, pull it up, Google it. It is a beautiful example of what can be accomplished in a grocery store to incorporate natural daylight, you know, having daylight, having, incorporating this into the store, as well as the use of uh, natural materials. You walk in and there's these exposed, beautiful wood trusses um, that you can see, and it changes the entire feel of what a grocery store is. You know, if we think about it and go back, you know, way in time to our farmers markets and and how people originally had their food presented to them, it was all in a natural space. You know, you you bought your produce outside, you bought it in these markets, and I think it's important for us to remember that and and incorporate that design back into us. It's interesting. It's a it's an interesting dilemma, not dilemma. It's an interesting thing that we have in terms of making sure that we provide something, provide a space to our both customers, but quite frankly, also our employees to have this space where they want to come in and work and be involved with. But then on the other side, it goes back to kind of what I was discussing about with we need to make sure that you know we're doing the right thing in terms of building. And if you think about it, grocery stores are not, they don't have a tight envelope. They're they're constantly opening and closing and yeah, and things coming in and out. This is not a tight envelope building. And so I think it's interesting because yes, I, I agree we need to be incorporating this. And I've seen studies where you know, I, I can't think of the study right now, but if I find it, I'll send it to you or perhaps you know of it, of where they put, you know, a store, a grocery store had a space, put in some daylight um, and skylighting and whatever was in that the daylit area sold, like, I want to say 25% better than it ever did. And it didn't matter what they put in there. You know, they, they put things that would normally sell in there, increased sales. They put things in where they typically didn't see a whole lot of volume sold, sold more than it ever had anywhere else in the store. And so I think that that speaks to the importance of incorporating daylight into that and something that, you know, we as a company are looking into 
with a caveat being of how do we do this in the most responsible manner um, of making sure that it's done correctly. You know, I, I would love to see skylights, but then, you know, our roof is really important to us. You, you don't want a leaking roof, especially with, with produce and food goods and making sure that, you know, nothing is happening to impact the integrity in terms of this, of like, you don't want mold growing in grocery stores. Now, this isn't me saying that skylights automatically lead to that at all. Um, I just think that it is something that we would need to be very carefully um, considerate of choosing with building materials. Um, taking a look at the orientation of our buildings is also important in terms of glare. Um, I went into a grocery store, and I won't name names, and the cashiers were just blinded because of where the building was oriented part of the day it was just stringing right into where the cashiers were and um you know i think that that daylight simulation is going to be super important both in terms of uh yes incorporating this and i think it's interesting in terms of the sales we can do but I'm more interested in how this could benefit our employees, how it can benefit our community um, in terms of incorporating this into our stores. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you do need to you do need to think about the sales side of it as well. You guys have to stay in business, mm -hmm. but uh, absolutely, it would be a much more pleasant. It'd be a pleasant it, gathering place, wouldn't it? Like a, a community gathering. It would place. it would? And I think previously that what they were like not not in terms of what we think of grocery stores today but if you think of like even the Halifax farmers market and our seaport it's beautiful it's a beautiful building for those who aren't from our community it's right there on our waterfront the use of natural materials in, within this building it's got high ceilings with glazing up there um, everywhere you go you seem to be enveloped in daylight. There's very few dark corners <laughs> in that space. And so that's where, you know, I see people come, get a cup of coffee, walk around, listen to the musicians. And that's what our spaces were, I think, you know, hundreds of years ago when we, when we thought about grocery shopping or going to market. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All right. I'm going to change mm -hmm. gear a little bit. Well, we'll stick, we'll stick with technology a little bit. We'll stick with technology mm -hmm. a little bit. So let's talk about new technologies. Are there any new technologies that you and Sobe see as being exciting um, with regards to sustainable design and or occupant wellness, like anything at all, uh, you know, say high insulating glass, like what we do, um, uh, mm -hmm. building integrated photovoltaics, vacuum glass, any, anything like that at all that uh, you might be looking at that you're able to share with me. Yeah, yeah. So I was just going to put that caveat of, of course, I can't give away everything that we're doing, um, especially um, not in terms of keeping secrets, but the company, this is going back to our climate action plan um, and greenwashing of just being very, very diligent in terms of validating stuff. So even what we're currently doing, we are only marketing both internally to internal stakeholders and our stores, as well as marketing that we're looking to put within our stores that, that tell our customers about our journey of this climate action plan and what we're doing. So explaining our journey with the climate action plan to our customers within the store. But in terms of what we're looking at, 
we just want to make sure that what we're claiming and, and we want to see things. We're not afraid to try these two new technologies. It's something that I look at every single day and, and speak to people about. Um, but we want to make sure that whatever we're implementing is the responsible thing. It, it, it helps us accomplish our climate action goals and our targets in, in terms of reducing scope one and two emissions. Um, because at the end of the day, we have a responsibility both to our stores and our store managers, operators, and employees, as well as the community to make sure that whatever we are doing does not ne negatively impact them. And what I mean by that, though, is in terms of it does not negatively impact our employees' ability to do their job. We don't want them to see this as a burden because it is so important, I think, that they understand how vital they are in terms of, one, the daily operation of these buildings. There are no grocery store without our employees. Um, and two, in terms of, you know, I want them to feel supported and know that they're supported in terms of they're the boots on the ground when it comes to the climate action stuff that we're doing within these buildings. An example, which I'm happy to share, is we've installed night curtains on a lot of refrigerated cases. So when you go in there, I'm going to tell you this, and now people are going to look at them. So you can look at them. Please don't break them. Um, there are night curtains um, tucked up. And at night, when the store is closed, you can pull those down. It, it's either magnetic or it locks on. And it helps keep that barrier so that the refrigeration system is not constantly pumping out. And in terms of cases, which is something you know, before I started at Sobeys, I didn't, I never thought about, but refrigerated cases themselves are, are, are being built, for example, to help with this airflow, to keep refrigeration within um, rather than constantly. I know in the summertime, there's plenty of times I walk in, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm freezing in this section just because you can feel that refrigeration pump out. So there's so many different things that the manufacturers of cases are looking at um, and suppliers are looking at. There's there's things within HVAC we are looking at to increase efficiency of, you know, are we doing the right thing in terms of set points and making sure that our systems are within set points. I think that with the explosion, particularly in the last year of the concept of artificial intelligence, and how we can incorporate this and, and what does this mean, not only for, you know, in terms of that GDP, but in terms of how can we utilize artificial intelligence to identify trends or, or use that to help us um, identify issues. I think that that's going to be really important um, and a technology that I think is really cool and, and something that's always being developed. But I also think that building materials are incredibly important. And I keep going back to that, Joe, not because that's what this podcast is, but also my background with Voltaire and, and, and the community of just really thinking about it. If you, you know, our buildings and our operations are comprised entirely of, of material. I think they're so interconnected that you can't talk about one without talking about the other, because even building materials themselves, the, the technologies that are coming out, um, how we do construction is really interesting just in terms of 
for example, glass in, and glazing. So in the past couple of years, especially since the pandemic, we've seen at the beginning, I'm sure you remember, Joe, there was this like, oh, what's going to happen to the construction industry? Like, I think it's going to stop. And it, that was not the case. It absolutely exploded. And in terms of that, it pushed increase in environmental air quality. It pushed all these things. But what it also pushed was construction budget and the cost of materials and how to push this. And it's a really interesting kind of trade-off because, as I found with Solterra as we were going through these exercises, is that the cost of triple-pane glass, you know, if we if we were doing a passive house design, I really wanted to focus in on on the envelope. Triple pane glass today is really not that more expensive um, than doing your typical construction practices. I think that's in part of how expensive it is to construct a building now. And so with that shift, though, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch in the next couple of years as this develops of like okay well if it's only this much more expensive to do the triple pane glass over that why not go that way why not why not choose the better technology or the newer technology if it's not that much more expensive especially when you get these types of energy savings so that's what i'm really also excited to see develop so how are you? How are you staying current on all these new technologies? How, where do you get your? What, tell us about a few of your inf- information sources. Yeah, yeah. So um, one thing I forgot to also mention at the beginning um, of introducing myself is that I also sit on the board of directors for the Green Building Initiative, the GBI, which I believe you spoke with our CEO Vicky Warden in a past yeah. podcast. Is that correct? It's how I got your name. It's how I came to reach out to you. Yeah, in the first place. yeah. Like, so yeah. that organization, I cannot say enough great things about that organization. Um, my fellow board of directors, the staff is amazing. And through that, I've made some really great connections. Um, and I, I really want to stress the importance of community and networking and talking with with people within the industry um, you know, my, my past position at Solterra was really wonderful in terms of that position is one of the few careers out there in terms of if we think about the screen building industry. It's one of the few positions where I was involved and talked with every, every single person on that project team from, from owners to the design team, so talking with the engineers, talking with the architects. To talking with the general contractors, subtrades, talking with the green building certification people and going through reviews. I, I was there from project concept all the way to, you know, design, occupancy, you know, sub- substantial completion, occupancy, and then final certification. And being in that position, I I was exposed to all these different people and, and, and types and all these different um, aspects that go into making a building. And so I had to learn and be comfortable with speaking with engineers about HVAC and, and refrigeration and, you know, electrical and mechanical and civil and all of this. I had to be comfortable talking with architects of design and orientation and 
you know, making sure that ratios are, are met. I had to be comfortable talking with general contractors, making sure I understood, okay, here's our, our great, you know, erosion and sedimentation control plan. How, how are you doing this with this? Last week, I had a really great meeting internally with a construction director who was talking about, you know, we finished up our meeting and he said, hey, has anybody heard of maybe a, a new material or technology? We're having an issue in terms of our epoxy floors and, you know, having the durability, food safety, all this stuff in our, our meat and seafood department. Has anybody heard of anything? So I think that that just speaks to how reliant people are on on those around them to understand, get the word out, problem solved together. Hey, have you heard of this? Do you know something? Do you know a product? So that's that's one of the main ways I, I learn about these technologies. And right. another way I learn is, you know, I, I like to read, I keep up on on certain things, whether it's on LinkedIn or um, with companies that I I admire or I've used their products before, especially here in Atlanta, Canada, I think after the pandemic, there is such a want, such such a thirst for that sense of community to be here that I honestly think it's the best way to learn about things. I also so so I know you know this, but I also sit on uh, the planning committee for. Build Green Atlantic, which is mm-hmm. our uh, conference that we revived last year um, after the the shutdown of you know from the pandemic and and the closure of the CAGBC chapters. Um, so I I get to work with amazing people like Larry Ryan and the Ashray chapter and and so many great people to plan this conference. And it's also one of my main sources of being able to go to people, talk, learn what others are doing. Uh, go to the trade show, see what kind of cool things people are bringing. Um, so I highly encourage everybody to, you know, if you're in the region, check us out. Um, Build Green Atlantic. It's, um, you know, registration is open. So yeah, that's really where I look for others. Okay. All right. The question that I ask every single guest, my, my million dollar question. And you can answer it from whatever perspective you would like. What makes a great okay. building? I love this. I think a great building is one that calls to the community, one that is there to serve its community in the best capacity that it's able to, one that is resilient and there, um, that respects its environment, respects the culture it was built in, and one that can last in a sustainable way. Yeah, I think there are so many great examples of these buildings out there in the world. Um, and I hope that in my position with Sobeys, um, one day people can look at our stores and go, that's a great building. That's a wonderful goal. All right, Megan, before we wrap up, is there anything else mm-hmm. that you'd like to talk about that I didn't cover? Like, is there any particular news for the company or anything for you personally um, that you'd like to promote? Sure. Yeah, I touched on a couple of them, but uh, one I want to highlight again, um, Sobeys Climate Action Plan and our Sustainable Business Report. Feel free to give it a look. I I think it's a really great document that speaks to our commitment to addressing issues in terms of our carbon emissions, our footprint, and what we plan to do in terms to increase our sustainability. 
Um, another one I want to promote, uh, again, is Build Green Atlantic Conference. Um, it's coming up March 26th through 27th. Uh, we have great um, kind of pre-conference workshops. We have a couple building tours planned. You know, last year, Joe, it was a great success. There were so many wonderful people who attended, so many great booths with technology. So um, I highly encourage people to register and, and come join us and then come say hi. Um, I'll be there. And then lastly, um, I have to give a shout out again to the GBI um, and Vicki Warden. They're going to be the platinum sponsors for this event. Um, so again, encourage people to stop by and say hi and, and talk with them about green buildings. So yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. I wish I could see you there. I, I, I am still, I think, on the list as a speaker, but I, I'm not going to be there, unfortunately. I, it was just a conflict on, on my schedule. So Jim Satterway will be there on, on behalf of uh, uh, Advanced Glazings. So, Megan, thank you so much. That was that was wonderful. That was insightful. And it's so good to hear from from the perspective of, of, of building owners. That um, Thank you for being here today. My pleasure, Joe. Thanks for having me. Of course. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Better Buildings for Humans. For more information on the world's best light diffusing and highly insulating glass glazing, please visit advancedglazings.com.